Well, good morning, church. Uh, If we haven't had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Megan Maserol, and I serve here as the director of Serve Ministries. But this morning, it is my honor to come around God's word with you and see what the Lord may have for us today. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn with me. We are going to be in Revelation. Watch out now. Uh, Revelation 3, starting in verse 14. If you don't have your Bibles, totally cool. The verses are going to be on the screen behind me. But we're starting in Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have required wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. Would you pray with me? God, what a gift it is to come around your word together. God, a gift that many of our brothers and sisters in Christ don't have the opportunity to do, to come openly in a space together and proclaim you freely and authentically. And so God, we just recognize that gift in this space today. And God, I ask that in this moment, as we recognize your presence in this place, God, that you would do what only you can do. Would you move by the power of your spirit and give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, whatever it is that you have for us this morning, trusting and believing that you are good. And so, Father, we love you, and we trust you, and we give you this time. And we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So one of my most favorite adventures I've ever been on was to Cartagena, Colombia, And I really, really wish that Dario Vargas, our Spanish pastor, and Ana were here right now because they would love that I just said that uh, because they are originally from Colombia. But in fact, they are not here because they are in Colombia right now (laughs) visiting some family. 
But nevertheless, this uh, trip that I went on was so special for so many reasons. Uh, One of them being that one of my best friends, since I was 10 years old, we decided to go on this trip together. And I was living in Honduras at the time. She was living here in Texas. And so we both flew separately and landed together in a country that was foreign to both of us. And it was breathtaking. So Cartagena is divided into kind of two main parts. You have the new city, which is kind of like a Miami type of vibe. You've got industry, you've got skyscrapers, but it's all right there like on on a beachfront. Very cool, very modern, very trendy. And then you have the other side of the city, which is where me and my friend Christina were staying, which is called the Old Walled City. And stepping into the Old Walled City was a little bit like stepping back into time. Uh, I have a picture of it to, to show to you. So this This area of Cartagena literally was encompassed by a literal stone wall. And the first day that we were there, and as you can see, like you're greeted by this iconic, yellow, beautiful clock tower every time that you enter and exit this area. And the first day that Christina and I were there, we were mesmerized. And I think we walked every street (laughs) that is in there, just taking in all of the beautiful architecture, the colors that were so radiant and vibrant, the the flowers that were growing down in vines on buildings, the ornate doorknobs that were so custom and particular to each door that we passed by. It was amazing. It was amazing. And as Christina and I continued on in our week together, we learned that there were these free two-hour historical walking tours of this area. And we kind of debated for a while. We were like, well, we think we've walked literally every inch of this. Do we want to do it again? Um, But we decided no. Like, for whatever reason, we said, let's go on this. Let's, Let's see. And I am so glad that we did. Because we we get to the spot where everybody that was going on this tour was to meet, and our tour guide said something that was so profound, I, I catch myself referencing it often in my daily life. She said, you can only appreciate something to the fold of your knowledge. So many of you have walked around these streets having little idea what you're actually looking at. But that's why I'm here. I'm here to help you bring this city to life. This history to your knowledge. An aid in your appreciation for the story here in Cartagena. And she was right. She did her job very well. Because as we walked these streets that I had seen with my, with my own eyes just a couple of days before, she was pointing out details I had completely missed. Pointing out symbols of historical significance and telling the story of what had gone on here so it, it gave this deeper depth of what I was actually looking at. 
she gave me the gift of not only seeing Cartagena through my own culture, through my own language, through my own perspective, but said, here, I'm going to come alongside you and, and give you deeper depth to what is going on here. And it was so impactful because she was right. I was functioning in a country that was not my own, on a continent not my own for that matter, functioning in a language that was not my primary first language. And every, everything about it was, was different. But her gift of clarity bred understanding and understanding bred admiration. And similarly, in our text today, you can read these words on the surface and you, you can appreciate what is, what is being said. You can gather meaning from what is being said. But, but I'm inviting us today into a little context produces meaning to go a little deeper as we discover who the church of Laodicea actually was and what this letter meant for them. So, who is Laodicea? Matt, please. <laughs> okay, so Laodicea, as you can see on the map here, is one of seven cities in an area that we know now as modern-day Turkey. And John who wrote Revelation, was inspired by the Spirit to write the words of Jesus to the Christians that were living in each of these cities. So our text that we're reading today is one of those seven letters, specifically to Laodicea. And so Laodicea, who were they? Well, they were notably prosperous. Very, very well off for many a reasons. First and foremost, they were known as a wealthy financial banking center. They even minted their own coins. Secondly, they were known for their infamous medical school. People would come to study at this medical school, and the medical school had taken a local Laodicean stone and harnessed a powder out of it. And out of that powder, they made what was called an eye salve, an eye ointment that was used to heal various eye conditions. And additionally, they were also known as a clothing manufacturing center. And their main export of clothes was made out of this luxurious and unique black wool that were from sheeps that were only found in Laodicea. So, as you can see, Laodicea was the bomb. They had a lot of things going on for them, and they knew it. They knew they had made it and were making it. And so pride became the cultural norm of this area. Even to the point that when their city was destroyed by an earthquake and the Roman Empire offered to give aid to help them rebuild their city, 
confused. They said, no, no, we can take care of ourselves. We've got this. And so while Laodicea also had clearly all of these things going for them, ironically, they had one big, staring, blatant, apparent weakness. Their water supply. They had none. They had no water for themselves where they were based geographically. So what they had to do was take these huge limestone aqueducts that were predominantly underground and pipe in water from a city that was six miles away. And so, yes, it was predominantly underground, but as it got closer to the city, these aqueducts had to come above ground, making them very vulnerable. So, you know, if anybody was maybe envious or jealous of what Laodicea had going on, they could just cut that water supply right off. But also, this water that they received was tepid. It was mineral-filled. It was not viable for human consumption. It even is documented that it was vomit-inducing. Yeah, I know. Saw some faces. Sorry about that. Um, (laughs) And additionally, when this water arrived to them, it was neither hot nor cold, but it was lukewarm. The hypocrisy of self-sufficiency, right? This blatant double standard of saying, We're good, we don't need anybody's help, but yet our whole livelihood depends on water that comes from a town six miles away. This hypocrisy and really just this this pride and arrogance had also made its way into the church of Laodicea. They had become seemingly apathetic to their need for Christ, for their need for Jesus. And, and they neither loved or hated God, but were woefully indifferent. And, and so with all of this background knowledge in mind of who these people were, it is clear for us to see that Jesus' words that he is communicating are meant to be communicated boldly and specifically to what Laodicea valued most and is calling and asking for a redirection of their priorities. Jesus' words are pointed for the Laodicean Christians as they had let their economic prosperity cause spiritual bankruptcy. The words of Jesus say, oh, you want to be like your water supply? You want to be neither hot nor cold when it comes to acknowledging me? You want to be lukewarm? 
I too say that that is nauseating. I would rather you be all in or all out because this is not viable for human life. This is not viable for your life with me. He says, oh, you have lots of money? You have all the riches that you could ever need. You have everything that your heart desires. I wish you could see just how poor in spirit you have become. He says, oh, you have these beautiful black clothes and these eye salves for healing. I wish you would lean into my victory and be clothed as white, white as snow that covers your shame. And true healing, salvation, that really gives you sight where you were once blind. The words of Jesus are not playing around here. And actually, fun fact, this church is the only one to receive simply only rebuke and not any encouragement for what they were doing well. So I'm sure they were feeling super, super, super about themselves in this moment. But thankfully, Jesus doesn't stop there. The words of Jesus give information on the reality at hand and an invitation for transformation ahead. Because Jesus says the only reason why he's doing this at all, why he's saying any of this is because he loves them. I love that. Because Jesus cannot call himself the amen, the God of steadfast truth, if he does not lead and guide us into the way that is truth, the way of actual life. And friends, this is not only true for the church of Laodicea. This is true for us, too. Jesus cannot say that he loves us if he does not tell us the truth. And the truth is, when it comes to the deepest yearnings of our soul, we cannot be divided. We cannot be a people of a middle ground when it comes to Christ's reign in our lives. He loves his people too much to tell them anything other than, I love you, and this is not the way forward. Here is a better way. Here is the way to life. And thankfully, too, Jesus doesn't present a problem without a solution. So what's the solution? Himself. Intimacy with Christ. Restoration with God forever. Anyone who hears 
my voice, calling anyone who hears my knock. What, what does he say? I will come in and I will eat with them. Such intimate language. And if we make him the king of our hearts, the author of our greatest affections, he gives us the gift of proximity right next to him. Right next to him. And he is eager for all to be with him. All to have the riches of radiant love forever. So that whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Let them come close to Jesus and never let go. Scripture like this can be hard. I will say hard for me personally. Because I often have temptation to take Christ's supremacy over my life and to deduce him down to pocket Jesus. Pocket Jesus, you know, where uh, I pull him out of my pocket when I want to sound like a good moral person. Right? When I post on that Facebook post, I'll pray for you. Or I want to appear like Jesus really is in control of my life. But then I just put him away otherwise. Can you imagine if we did that with people in our real life? Take you who are married here, okay? Think about if the only time that you acknowledged your spouse or claimed them was when it was convenience and otherwise had nothing to do with them. What? <laughs> no, that's not love. That's the opposite. And the opposite of love is not hate, friends. It's apathy. It is a lack of genuine concern or care. It's indifference. And, and while this indifference may not outwardly create division in every circumstance of your life, inwardly, it always creates a spiritual corpse. We are implored to be passionately captivated by Christ. Church, what if our indifference towards Jesus is causing an insidious separation from the one that we say we love most? What if our posture of no preference is sinking our souls into a sea of apathy? Because if, if we as Christians can't be passionate about our justifying Jesus, then who or what is next? One of the teachers of my life Ben Stewart says, what you think about 
is what you care about. And what you care about is what you chase. And so, friends, what's in our minds bleeds into our hearts. And what's in our hearts directs our lives. And so what are we chasing? What are we chasing? Are we passionately running after Jesus? Are we pursuing the God who came to us and for us? Or do we maybe need some navigation correction? I'm not sure where you find yourself today. But my hope is that wherever you are, you're encouraged. Because if you find yourself passionately pursuing Jesus, I hope that you have been affirmed today that this is the way and keep going. Even when it's hard. Even when it's tough, he is the answer. Or if you find yourself indifferent or maybe just unsure or somewhere in between, I deeply desire that you have heard that where you are doesn't have to be the end of the story. That Jesus is so ready and willing to come in, to come in the door and be with you. Jesus put skin on for you and for me. That embodied love hanging on a tree. And with the grave in defeat, proclaimed his deity. Friends, Jesus is truly worth it all. And our passion for him is our highest call. And the greatest adventure we will ever go on. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are the God of the amen, the steadfast truth. And God, thank you that your love truly changes everything. That as as we sang earlier in this service, that your love, we we can't run from it, and there is no shadow that you won't light up. There is nothing that you are not willing to do because you paid it all. You've done it all for us. God, we we be reminded of that truth today that your love is worthy of our lives and worthy of our passion and affections for you.
Father, we love you. And we trust you. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.